Where do they land bowl season wise? I'm seeing a lot of holiday bowl projections. Uh, what are what are you guys? What are you feeling? What's the, what's the vibes here for for the bowl game? Yeah, it's probably the holiday bowl or the Alamo bowl again. Probably against like Florida State or Duke, North or Carolina or North Duke Carolina or something like that. Or, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah, I don't really care. Yeah, I think, I think bowls are the same boat. I hope they go to whatever bowl gets them the coolest free shit. You know what I mean? I hope they get PlayStations or something. You know? Yeah, they're not call. like the not the Jimmy Kimmel bowl where you get like I don't Welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 134 here in beautiful Chopper Base. The Avatarier producers are hanging out out on the couch after freshly vomiting in their pen this morning that I had to clean mm. up. So that was a fun start to the day. If you'd be so kind, please go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms. Hit that subscribe button. Give us the five star ratings. If you leave a lovely review, you may even get read right here on the podcast. Also, please go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your major social media platforms. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane Six on Twitter and Waka Flocka Shane Six on Instagram. Nice. And we are, of course, joined once again by our third Duck Migo, Mr. Duckswire himself, Zachary Neal. Zach, how we doing? Doing good, man. I'm thrilled to be talking about this wonderful, wonderful <laughs> football game that we just all watched. Oh, man, it was really funny. Um, I was telling you guys, I went back and listened to like episode 21 and 22 of the podcast. And besides the background music being really rough and like other things about it, the content, I mean, it was interesting just to hear the the optimism we had going into that Arizona State game before we got absolutely torched by Brendan Ayuk and then got absolutely beat up by Utah. But, you know, it was it was fun. It was fun to go back and listen. So, uh, yes, we are, of course, here to talk about the Platypus Cup and Oregon's devastating 38 to 34 loss to still little brother up there in Corvallis. And then we will, of course, talk about all the storylines that go along with that. Dilly headed to ASU, his replacement, some other Pac-12 news. Uh, the transfer portal opens on Friday. We'll briefly discuss uh, some of Oregon potential transfers and some transfers maybe coming in. <coughs> Excuse me. Will Bo stay or go at this point? Other big names that may be transferring or headed on to the NFL from Oregon. Uh, potential bowl game landing spots. And then we'll talk a little round ball with the PK Invitational wrapping up. And then we will wrap up with Duck Generate Corner. All right, gentlemen, let's just get into it here. Uh, viewing experience. Uh, Shane, go to you first here. Bar-wise, the vibes pregame and then as the game went on. Uh, pregame, pretty crazy. Uh, people were, you know, really excited about this one. A lot of people traveling to Corvallis. Um, I think, you know, just th this rivalry and just rivalry week in general, um, I think people were just pretty amped up for a lot of people really into watching that Michigan Ohio state game, which was a surprising outcome. 
then the actual viewing experience, I was great. I got paid to watch this one. Uh, didn't really do much <laughs> for the the like four hours that this game was, which was a it was like an oddly long game for how much both teams were running the ball. But um, as far as fanfare, um, you know, I had I had some people hanging out watching the game. Uh, pretty frustrating though, because you know, watching a game like this where there's just this epic collapse and everybody kind of I think was counted Oregon as the victor already around halftime or you mean early in the third quarter when it looked like they were about to kind of just blow the roof off that game the 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 criticisms I heard from people very interesting very interesting like why don't they just stop the run why don't they why don't they just do something to like they know they're gonna run why don't they just stop them and I think people really uh discredited how good that Oregon State offensive line is how good all of those running backs are I mean What's his name? The freshman uh, Martinez as Martinez, absolute tank. But those other guys are not chopped liver either. Um, and just the way that they were able to run <clears> the ball <throat> cohesively like that, uh, it, it reminded me a lot of how Oregon beat a lot of teams this year and how like how Oregon fans felt. Just remember, that's how we made a lot of other fan bases feel earlier in this season when like the running game was just unstoppable and the offensive line was just taking over the game. Yeah, an immovable. I mean, just a force, just a force that to be reckoned with. Absolutely. All right, Zach, let's head to you. Viewing experience for this one. Yeah, I was up in Corvallis for this game. Uh, fortunately, got to got to get up there, but it was a very strange one because obviously that stadium is like half under construction. So uh, they had us on the opposite sideline of like all of the fans, obviously, and um, in that like concrete structure, and they had like. I don't even know what you want to call them, like train cars almost. <laughs> like it was very interesting. But luckily, they were heated. Um, these like boxes that we were just able to sit in, probably like shipping 20... container things. Oh yeah, containers, yeah, they're obviously baby. like yeah, shipping container containers. Homes. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a good way to put it. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Uh, but we were probably like twenty rows up from the field, which was nice. But like all the way down in one end zones to like not a really good viewing experience. A lot of times we had to like get out of the box and like go walk a ways to like be able to see actually what was happening but um all in all it was actually a, a pretty cool experience um just to kind of like feel that stadium because i mean credit to them and oregon state like that that's a loud loud fan base and once that stadium 000. is is completed uh it's gonna be a pretty hostile environment I, I think i'm really excited to see what it looks like in the next couple of years once they get everything going but uh yeah like you like you were talking about it was it was very weird to see the shift in energy from first half to third quarter to late in that fourth quarter. It was kind of like a just a train crash, you know, a car wreck that you just was going in slow motion. Uh, you just kind of saw it coming and you knew that Oregon couldn't really stop it. And uh, it was pretty brutal to watch down the stretch. But uh, all in all, it was a really good game. I know it's tough to hear for Oregon fans because uh obviously not a good outcome for duck fans but a really entertaining game a fun comeback to watch but uh yeah it was it was definitely an interesting one well if, if oregon wins that game if they score at the end there oregon fans call that a classic you know that goes down yeah. according to the oregon fan base is one of the greatest platypus cups ever and i don't think because the the outcome isn't what we wanted that changes that really that much i mean what oh, a comeback yeah. Great fucking football game. I mean, that that's the best way to really put it. I mean, viewing experience, I was here on the couch, watching with Miga and her sister, you know, once again, back in the, the comfy environment. Um, I was really worried early on because this was the first game 
Well, honestly, even, I mean, the lines even held their own in the Georgia game. So this was the first game that both of our lines were getting pushed around. And it was even happening early on when Oregon was having success. They were just having success despite it. And then in that third quarter, you know, I'm going to blame myself. I'm going to 100% blame myself for this one, guys. I got a little antsy. I was looking at Vegas. I was looking at some tickets. I was looking at some hotel rooms. Even sent Pops, Papa Duck a, a text saying, hey, let's meet in Vegas. You know, da, 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 da. I was, I was, I was feeling myself a little bit, definitely feeling myself. And when I say I was crushed at the, at the end of this game, I like to think that I'm a, a well-reasoned, you know, emotionally stable, almost 40 year old man. And, you know, I've distanced myself a little bit from, uh, from sports in regards to dictating my, uh, my emotional state. Uh, it was rough. It was a rough couple hours after this one. And then all day Sunday, just kind of the weight of the season also being over at the same time. I just, I was telling me, it's like, man, I'm depressed. I'm legitimately depressed. That game really took my heart out. And it was, you know, all credit to, to, to little brother up there, the Beavers, you know, for pulling that one out and just bullying us. You know, it's, it reminded me of when you come home from college and the little brother's a little bigger than he used to be, you know, and his punches land a little harder and he catch, catches you with a couple nut blows like early in the fight and you're just kind of down a, for the rest of it. He's got a mustache now. Yeah, he's got a little mustache <laughs> growing. Yeah, he's been taking creatine. He's been, you know, lifting with the weights and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, we, we've said for, for since this podcast started that, you know, the Pac-12 is better, football is better when the Beavers are a good football team and, the, and this rivalry is a good game. And Shane, you hit the nail on the head, man. I tweeted, you know, I don't know why this line is moving. Steven Jackson's not coming through this door. And I, he must, he went like Space Jam and like gave his talent to all three of those running backs. I was most impressed with that Deshaun Fenwick kid. I mean, he looks a little bit like Steven Jackson too, just in being an up, upright runner, nice big, tall guy. Really, really impressive. So just, just a, a brutal loss. Just a brutal loss. I feel for those players, you know, to, to get beat up that way in, in a big time rivalry game. I was impressed once again with Landing's response at the end, basically <clears throat> throwing himself under the bus and saying how he's got to be better and and things of that nature. So I like to see that from a coaching staff. But um, just kind of moving forward now, again, we don't know where the Ducks are going to land. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. You got something. I just wanted to point out a couple of of notable stats from this game before oh, we move God. on to, to what's going forward because look at it. Oregon State rushed for 268 yards and five touchdowns. And even crazier than that, they completed six passes on the game and only attempted 13 passes on the game. So I know Shane was saying that a lot of the fans were complaining, like, just, you know, they're going to run the ball, stop the run. And while, yes, that's a little naive to say, because it's not that easy. I was kind of thinking the same thing. A lot of us in the press box were thinking the same thing. We're like, you know, they're not passing the ball. I, it was, I think Dan Rubenstein on Twitter said after he was like, they're starting a broken jugs machine at quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you not load nine, 10 guys in the box and just stop the run? Because they're mm. not doing anything else. So um, I know that I'm not trying to take any credit away from Oregon State's offensive line or running backs because they played an outstanding game. But man, I just, I kind of have questions about the defensive philosophy because it shouldn't have looked that easy. Uh, knowing that they were as one-dimensional as they were. So I was left with kind of a sour, frustrated taste in my mouth after that because this defense is better than that. Absolutely. And I don't think this defense, this this rushing defense, I mean, this has been a top 20 rushing defense all year. I'm pretty sure they were 19th in the nation coming to this game. So the fact that they got pushed around like that was just really frustrated and left a, a tough taste in the mouth uh, to end the season. 
Well, yeah, and we've almost... praised this coaching staff for those halftime adjustments. We've we right. praised both the defensive and offensive coordinators for coming up with stuff, you know, even in the third quarter and fourth quarter. And, you know, there were still some things that happened on the offensive side that were nice to see some some wrinkles coming off of plays that happened earlier in the game. But yeah, I was just I was kind of like you and Zach. I was I was shocked that the defense wasn't making more adjustments to try to stop this just absolute, you know, bulldozer of a rushing attack. To me, it, it seemed like when we got to the fourth quarter, though, it was like the ninth round of a heavyweight title fight where one side had just been decimated. And it was there was so much not only wind taken out of their sails as far as like, you know, uh, what the expectations for that game and how the momentum switched. But just physically, it was just it seemed like in the fourth quarter, Oregon State could have been like they could have diagram the play and showed it to the defense. And I don't think it would have really mattered that much just because it just seemed like physically they had all the gas and Oregon was just there. I mean, and I mean that, that comes down to, you know, some sort of coaching philosophy too. We did see them start to cycle some of the linebackers in and out in the fourth quarter. We saw a little bit more Keith Brown, a little bit more Justin flow, but it was, it was weird. The one thing that I did find odd schematically was when they did load the box, they were coming off the edges more. And they were putting like Mace Funa and Keith Brown on the edge. And then the problem was they were just running straight up the gut. And I mean, yeah, I don't really know at, at that point what you really do to stop it when you're just outmatched. But I mean, that that's that's what makes these rivalry games so great, though, is, you know, like they had they had. The to beat Oregon was was their bowl game, basically. And they, they treated it as such. And one thing I really want to give credit to those Oregon State players and fans for was just no give up at all. When they scored that touchdown, when they were going down like 18 points or whatever it was, uh, the first touchdown that kind of got them a little bit back in the game, they were celebrating as if they were down by three. And they were still down multiple scores. And when you looked at that sideline, you saw all the optimism. And when you looked at Dan Landing, this entire game, Dan Landing was – a little bit less energetic than we've seen him. The entire coaching staff looked a little bit more um, mute than we'd seen them pretty Tight. much all season. Distracted. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Maybe we'll get to more of that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, to make a weird UFC reference, this reminded me of the latest uh, Stylebender fight, the Israel Adesanya <clears throat> fight against Alec Pereira, where just, you know, really dominated the first couple rounds. And in that fifth round, just didn't have the legs to, to really keep it up. And Pereira was able to knock him out. So just, yeah, very, very similar style there. But all right, let's let's move into some takeaways here. Uh, let's move into, you know, what the Ducks are going to be working on here in the next couple of weeks as they prepare for the bowl game. Um, again, as, as we look ahead, um, what are some things uh, that you guys can, I mean, negative or positive, that we think we can take from this game? Zach, what do you think? Who's going to have the positive takeaway? <laughs> I'm curious about that one. Uh, for me, it's got to be special teams, man. It's It's been so, so brutal. And I mean, special teams has not been good in Oregon, in Eugene, for a few years now. It was not great under Cristobal. Um, we knew that coming into this year. I know that Lanning hired Joe hired Lorig from Penn State to come in and kind of overhaul that whole group. And there was some, you know, we thought it was positive going forward because we saw in practice every day that they, that was the first thing they were working on <clears throat> after stretches. And that they were spending a lot of time working on special teams and trying to get that right. And we heard a lot of good things from that. Um, and it just never really played out on the fields as we hoped it would. And that, you know, came to, I mean, it just showed itself in this game. I mean, we had a blocked punt, a muffed punt that gave Oregon State the ball. Uh, on the two-yard line, I think they scored the next play. 
We saw a 50-yard kickoff return given up. We saw a blundered kickoff return from Chris Hudson that gave Oregon the ball at the 10 when he should have just fair caught it. Um, it was just just really, really tough showing all around, and it's kind of been the whole season. I mean, the Ducks have not been uh, looking good on special teams. I think they rank uh, 109 in kickoff return defense, 116 in punt return defense, 116 in, in punting uh, net yards, stuff like that. So uh, it's just been really brutal, and I don't know if that's something that can be turned around in a year. I'm not saying that Joe Lorig needs to be fired or anything. Um, I just know that that's, that was a major hole coming into this year, and it definitely did not get any better. Um, so that's something they need to work on definitely in these next couple of weeks before the bowl game and certainly this offseason because you know you can't be a good dominant team and have just such atrocious special teams. Yeah, it's like we sacrificed something to get a field goal kicker. You know, it's like in order to get the field goal kicker, we had to sacrifice a life and that life was our punt game, you know, because it's been, you know, kind of the black eye all season long. Uh, And those are great stats that you brought up, Zach. I didn't realize that had been that bad. Um, But yeah, in in order to get a a competent field goal kicker and, you know, somebody we can trot out there for 35 yarders, apparently we've had to sacrifice our punt game. So Shane, as you as you look forward, what's uh, what's your biggest takeaway here? Uh, I would have to go with the aggressiveness of the coaching staff is something that needs to be reevaluated. Um, we kind of, we praise Dan Lanning for it when it's working, but and I don't know if it goes hand in hand with, if he doesn't trust what they have and their ability to punt the ball. I mean, is the, the punting game suffering because of how little they've been used this season? It's kind of a chicken or the egg situation, but I think that kind of looking at this game, looking at the Washington game, obviously, in these situations where we're going forward on fourth downs rather than punting and trusting the defense. Is that a coaching philosophy that's going to be the same thing moving forward? Is that something that Dan Lanning took from being a defensive coordinator? I mean, like when I'm a head coach, I'm going to do it this way. It's, but it's, I think that it's something that we need to look at. And it's, you know, it's something that's discussed with like analytics in the NFL, you know, the fourth and three or whatever. And I think it's great when like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo have talked about like, you can use analytics, but it has to be more situational. And mm-hmm. like I, I defended the the fourth down call in the Washington game. You know, I thought that the way that Washington's offense was playing, it was like, there's no way we're stopping these guys. They have too many things going on. I didn't feel the same way in this game where it was kind of like, man, I wish that we would have actually punted the ball away a couple of times. And I wish that we would have put the pressure on that running game to keep it going just because I think that that the the running defense on that team, although this game, like I said, they were just getting beaten up. They didn't have any of the wins left in their sails. I think you got to take a little bit of a shot with it and not do a read option with your quarterback on one leg. It's just, I mean, it's it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterback, but I just think that the it, not necessarily this game, but just that entire philosophy, I think, should just be reevaluated just a little bit. And I'm not saying, you know, be a more conservative style coach, but maybe pick and choose a couple times or during the season when they're in, when they're playing inferior opponents, when you're playing Colorado, Stanford, and these other teams, you punt on fourth down just to fucking give them some reps and just to get yourself, your team, some reps to be in those situations. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going to, I see where you're coming from, but I think what you, what you kind of hinted on there with the read option is the, is it's the play calling. It's the play calling in those moments and having, you know, a potentially distracted offensive coordinator thinking about Tempe and palm trees and stuff like that up there in the box. And I, I just think that the the aggressiveness is good. I like the aggressiveness. I want to see us playing downhill. 
but yeah, we've got to be a little bit better and just have, have more plays in our back pocket. You know what I mean? To, to call in those kinds of situations where, you know, you can get two yards no matter what. Zach, well, I don't want to put some... you on the, on the spot. Do you have how many times they punted on the season? Uh, not on the season. No, I could, I could look it up while, while we're talking for a little bit, but um, real quick, just on that fourth down play call. I honestly, I was fine with the, the decision to go for it. That's something where after the game, Bo said, he's like, man, I just, I wish I didn't keep the ball. Like they, I think that if he handed that off, I know it's a read option, but it's kind of like the Ty Thompson read option uh, against what was it, Washington. It's like, that should not have been an option at all. You should be handing that off because you're immobile and you just need to to give it to your running back. Who's shown that he can get two, three yards when he wants to. So, um, but yeah, you guys go ahead and talk and let me try and figure out how many uh, punts they have on the season. Well, and like I, I heard some people say like, well, if he hands that off, you know, that Oregon state defender was right there. I'm like, yeah, but Noah Whittington's been breaking fucking tackles all year. Like, I mean, th- those running backs have been so slippery all year that, I, you know, I think going to them and it's yeah, I, I, I do think it's it's a 50 50 kind of blend there of what how how you're using that aggression while you're also being that aggressive. But I'm not yeah. really saying like that that situation specifically, just to be clear, though, I'm just saying as a whole, that aggressiveness where it's just like, no, we're going for it on fourth down, no matter what. I think they that just needs to kind of be looked at as as the whole season goes. So it looks like Oregon has punted 30 times this season. I had 29, but yeah. Oh, I've got, yeah, I'm, I'm going off of ESPN, but it looks like they've got 30 okay. punts well, for around there. 1,123 yards. Yeah, maybe 20, maybe they're counting the drop, the muff punt or something like that, Could the snap, be, yeah, yeah, something sure. like that. Yeah, that's but that's not I, a lot. I think that, well, <laughs> and it's just, you know, you talk about analytics and you needed to have some situational awareness in there. I think if Oregon hadn't had a punt blocked and a muffed punt, they they might punt it there. But Lanning is probably looking at that unit and saying, man, I have very low confidence that we can get this punt off and actually pin Oregon State deep and make them run the length of the field. So, But I do have a quarterback and a running back that I think can pick us up a couple of yards and maybe go ice this game. So um, I don't really blame them completely for that decision, but that's just a situation where, you know, you can't, you might need to have a short memory in that situation, but you know, that's tough to do. Yeah. I just, I wonder if the punt unit would have been better had they been used more, I guess is my, yeah. but I, I mean, it, it's so hard to say because I don't, I'm not yeah. looking at those guys in practice. I mean, maybe there are major flaws there. Yeah. It's, it's just really or they're maybe they're like maybe they have a punter sitting there like damn dude like coach doesn't <laughs> want well, me on the field i mean the best example about it they had four punters this year four people yeah. punted the ball they were yeah, rotating every game trying to find out who was the best one who was the most reliable we saw that in practice every week too that they there was always this open competition they never found someone that they were supremely confident in so um i think that that's something that really needs to change next year because you can't have that open door and that, you know, that question going forward. We need Dan Lanning in Australia ASAP watching <laughs> Aussie rules football games, scouting. I love it. <clears throat> I love it. Yeah. Take the fam on vacation and do some, some Aussie rules, uh, football coach. Yeah. Some scouting down there. Uh, I'm going to go positive. I'm going to go positive here. Uh, Troy Franklin and Chase Coda. Just absolutely great games by those two individuals in particular. I mean, I texted you guys, Chase Coda, that's that's maybe probably the best college catch I've ever seen. 
I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Julio that's a Jones. better grab. What was that? Julio Jones uh, on the backside of that dude. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The that Calvin catch. Johnson one-hander at Georgia Tech. I mean, it's, it's among it's, the best. It's up yeah, there. it's up there. It's, it's, it's up definitely there. up there. Also, but I it's saw, the I think, best duck catch I've seen in a okay. really, really long time. I mean, right. that yeah. Um, it's just it's so unfortunate to see Chase really you know get healthy and get in his groove, and now just going to be for for <clears> one <throat> more bowl game if he plays in the bowl game. You know, if he decides not to continue to prep for the draft. He said after the game that he was planning on. He said that I don't, I don't see. We'll why see what I happens. Play yeah. the bowl game, but you know that's also right after his first rivalry game against Oregon State. So yeah, but yeah, um, with the news of uh, Dante Thornton transferring, which we'll get to a little bit later, or at least entering the portal. You know, always a chance those players can decide to come back. But uh, really excited to see Troy Franklin really step into that role. Terrence Ferguson had the one big grab up the sideline. Also, gotta love my my Fergie stock just going crazy there. But yeah, just this the the receiving game. I mean, we've we've been begging for a wide receiver to really step up and take the reins and be that number one. And it kind of feels like Franklin and Coda have kind of been one A and one B here for the last couple of games. So good good to see uh, those guys ball out. Well, and it's not a shock at all to see Thornton go uh, because you look at the receivers coming into Oregon, uh, If assuming that they sign uh, the recruiting class, but five-star Jurion Dickey, four-star Ashton Cozart. Uh, we already mentioned the transfer portal. I've heard one interesting Pac-12 name. I'm not going to say the actual name, but uh, an interesting player that we all, all know pretty well that's apparently put out some feelers to Oregon. Um, I can tell you guys off the air, but man, my um, ears so are smoking this, right now. I'm trying to, yeah, I know I'm trying like, so hard to think about it. There's something interesting. Actually, I'll drop the name in the chat real quick. Just oh, so you guys. Oh, I like it. I like, see, this is why we need our Patreon feed. <laughs> That's what I was. Yep. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Right. That's what I, I was okay. putting out feelers to Oregon saying, Hey, what's, what's going on. So, um, I think this receipt, like, yes, I, I like Dante Thornton a lot, um, but, you know, he never really found his role in this offense. And I hope that he can go, as we always do, find a, a better home somewhere and, and you know, in Arizona. Get the... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's honestly, he had Arizona State listed in his top six before yeah. committing to Oregon. Um, he's been vocal on Twitter about congratulations to Dillingham. You know, we'll see. So. Free man. Yeah. How do you guys feel about uh, players transferring within the conference? Are you like, would you, would you, re- all right, actually, I'll rephrase it. Would you rather see Thornton stay in the Pac 12 or go elsewhere? I mean, it doesn't I'm, matter at all to me. Yeah. We're always, I mean, I've always been bag friendly. You know, go, go get the bag wherever you can get it. And it, it definitely <laughs> adds. Oh, here, here's, I can't believe it took us this long to bring this up. It's spicy when they transfer oh, inside the conference, Shane. Stop. It's spicy when they do that. I'm so happy I didn't have to hear any of that. Dude, I saw people was, on Twitter. Dude, it was like worse than normal. He's so like it's it's so bad. It's I so don't terrible. get it. And then, does he like does he live in Oregon? Why does he get so many fucking Oregon games? I had to wait for him to get out of a porta potty so I could go in. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke before the game. <laughs> I was like waiting for a porta potty, and it's like then he just comes out. I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but but uh, back to my, I I like it when the players stay in the conference, and like I like that Dillingham is at Arizona State, and we get to, and I think it's mo- maybe because I don't really watch a ton of college football outside of the Pac-12. Like I will watch like 
Stanford and USC, UCLA play just because I like to be as familiar with these teams as I can. I just enjoy this this brand of football that we have over here. So I kind of hope that Thornton stays or goes to ASU. I like that we get to kind of see how Dillingham is going to be, that we get to follow these players a little bit more. And I don't really have as much beef with the the transferring with him inside the conference as other people. Wasn't it Carrington who went to, was it ASU that he went to when he transferred? Darren Carrington? Was it Stanford? I know his sister went to Stanford. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure yeah. he went to ASU. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, let's yeah, we're kind of already on the segue. Let's just jump ahead here to this Dilly to ASU and talk about the, the big story here, guys. The number one story coming out of this is who the hell is Kenny Dillingham's Taylor? Like, who <laughs> did that to him? Who, well, who hates him? Too? Who did yeah. that to him? I mean, oh. my word. That looked, that was like my grandfather's suit. That was just absolutely terrible. So, I mean, but the, I'll tell you what. Again, I follow a lot of people from the Valley down there. I follow a lot of Arizona coaches and stuff like that. And they are fired up. They are mm-hmm. super duper fired up. I even jumped into one of the spaces for like 20 minutes and just listened for a little while. And they are talking crazy they're talking like natty in three years kind of crazy down there already so about the sanctions Aren't you know they, they don't hit, care about sanctions a lot down of there. sanctions yeah rules don't saying, matter like, in tempe zach play in a natty <laughs> rules don't matter in scottsdale we don't okay. care about rules down here where we're going we don't need no rules but um again i've said it for years if somebody can can channel you know those players from the valley to arizona state they're going to be a force so it'll be interesting to see if kenny dillingham is able to to have that success but um, the real story here now from an Oregon <clears throat> perspective is who comes in to replace him. Uh, a lot of names going well, around out there, but yeah, go ahead, Zach. Before we get into that, um, yeah. I'm very curious to see what coaches on Oregon staff go with him. Oh, another um, good question. There's been some names that have thrown out that actually really make me pretty nervous. Is he going to take um, Tosh heard... Boy? No. He can take him. <laughs> that'd be fine. I've heard he's trying really hard to get Adrian Klim. That was down the, the name I was most worried about. He's tried really hard to get Tony Tuioti, uh, who actually said no because they already they took a different defensive line coach. Um, Jordan Somerville, offensive assistant. There's some some coaches on this staff that if they follow Dilly uh, down to ASU, it would really hurt the Ducks. Adrian Klim is the number one. Um, the I biggest. think he's yeah. the, the best hire that Landing made. He's been probably the best coach on this staff other than Landing. Um, but that's something I'm watching very, very closely over the next week because that would, it already hurts a lot to lose Dillingham. But if he takes some of these other coaches that have made Oregon so great this past year, that's going to be really brutal. That's a tough pill, pill to swallow. Yeah, just it's, uh, it adds a little pain, a little vinegar there to the wound for sure. Um, seen uh, some Scott Frost rumors to Arizona State also, which would be hilarious. Oh, to Arizona State, I think. Okay. Yeah, I've seen um, Scott Frost on Oregon rumors flying around. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Mr. Arroyo is now uh, looking for a job, also uh, let go by oh. UNLV. So he got, uh, he got canned. Yeah, that happened over That's the weekend. Not surprising, I guess. That's disappointing. I mean, not surprising. I kind of like Arroyo as an offensive coordinator. I do. Too. I'm. I think he'd be a. He's maybe not a great head coach, but man, Guys, I don't hate him as an we, offensive coordinator. Why, why are we whispering? Because I know <laughs> this is going to get Because we're about to get hate. dragged on Twitter. That's why. You guys know that's what I'm going to pull for the open, Royal. right? <laughs> no, please don't. People are going to turn the podcast off once they hear us say that. So. No, I oh, I mean, I, would, I put a list uh, a list out of, you know, potential offensive coordinator candidates last yesterday or this morning on Ducks Wire. I didn't put a Royal on it. 
but I wanted to because I was like, <laughs> something interesting. He was good when he was in Oregon. He was decent, at least. Well, give it, give us another name or two off that list, Zach, that you think, because you mentioned pre-pod that you think Oregon's going to move here pretty quickly to try <clears> to bring somebody in. We've got some important dates, you know, coming up in the recruiting calendar and the transfer calendar really, really approaching quickly. So who, who's your, who's your a name or two that you really like? Yeah. Like you said, I told you guys pre-podcast that, you know, the transfer portal opens up on December 5th. We got national signing day opening up on the 21st, I believe early signing day, at least. So they, Oregon needs to move quickly. They can't, afford to have a few weeks here for this searching process. And luckily, you know, I'm told that Lanning and the staff knew that this Dillingham hire was going to happen, you know, as far as three or four weeks ago. So they've been able to start this search already, but um, a couple of names, I think the the best hire in my opinion that they can make is probably Dan Mullen, uh, who is currently an ESPN oh. analyst, uh, former Florida Gators head coach. He won the orange bowl, and the uh, Peach Bowl at Florida a few years ago. I know he was fired, but he's still a great offensive mind, and and he's available too. Coached a couple um, of big quarterbacks down there too. Exactly. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a, a good veteran coach, and he's got mm-hmm. head coaching experience. I think he'd be a great presence in this coaching staff because it's a young coaching staff right now. And even sent um, a lot of guys to the NFL in those down years too. When he got fired, absolutely. they were still putting guys out there. So that's always a good sign. The Washington basketball yeah. effect. Yeah, definitely the Washington basketball effect. Not good, but they can produce. Oh, man, um, you got first round draft picks, but you can't win games. It's odd, oh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe Brady is another very interesting name. He was the former LSU offensive coordinator when they won the or a passing game coordinator when they won the championship with uh, Joe Burrow. He's currently the QB coach for the Buffalo Bills right now. He was fired as the OC for the Carolina Panthers. I know a lot of people look at these and say, oh, he was fired. Like, why do we want him? He's a really good offensive mind. And I'm told that this, I mean, this is the both Mullins and Joe Brady are like pretty big fish to land, but I've been told that there's, you know, some actual interest and there's some communication there. Well, plus, Um, I mean, Nick Saban got fired as a coach of Miami. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think one of the like dark horse candidates that I think really has some legs is Chip Long, who is the Georgia Tech offensive coordinator right now. He's got really a lot of connections with both Dan Lanning, Kenny Dillingham, Mike Norvell. He spent time with Lanning at Memphis. Um, he was the OC for Memphis under Mike Norvell. He kind of comes from that same coaching tree. He actually interviewed for the OC job under Mario Cristobal up here in Oregon. So um, he kind of checks a lot of boxes that I think you know are interesting, but um, I'm not going to go through all the candidates. If you want to look at the list of kind of like the wish list that we've got up, uh, duckswire.usatoday.com. Um, there's a lot of good names out there. So what a great website. It'll be interesting to see. You mentioned the Washington basketball effect, and I just couldn't resist. I had to Google Frank Kepnong and just take a look at his stats. Putting yeah, up uh, putting up 22 minutes a game, uh, six boards. Almost, I mean, we'll give him seven boards. We'll round up seven boards a game, two blocks, nine points. Thrive, Frankie. We want to see you thrive up there, but yeah. except against us, except against the Ducks. But go go thrive and be your best. Yeah, those are some interesting names. Be really curious to see, you know, just how this whole process plays out. And like you mentioned there, Zach, that's a, <clears throat> it's a really interesting thought just to see if they do go for maybe a little bit of an older presence, just to try to balance out this coaching staff and the, the youthful energy that we've seen uh, really permeate through the rest of the staff. Uh, another rumor that we just want to briefly touch on that does affect the Ducks here, Pac-12 tangentially, Deion Sanders officially offered the job there for the Colorado Buffaloes. 
what do you guys think? Is this is this realistic? Do you really think uh, they've got a shot at landing him? What do you think, Shane? I mean, did they also offer like Bill Belichick and like Andy <laughs> Reid? And uh, no, I mean, I, I I think it's I think it's definitely something Dion should look at. You know, I mean, he hasn't really gotten too many bit like actual set in stone D one offers. Uh, Colorado is a Pac twelve program for now. Um, I don't think with how the Pac twelve is kind of up in the air, I don't think he'd want to insert himself into like a school where they might not be in a conference that's a championship contending conference. I also think Colorado might not be the state he wants to live in. Uh, I've never been to Boulder. I've heard amazing things, but he, you know, he's very much cemented himself down South and it's a very different environment there in um, most ways. So I would be, I'd be very surprised. I do think it's, I think it's a cool, I, I think, I hope that he, you know, strongly considers it and they're, He's able to come and just kind of look around, you know, some of the Pac-12 facilities and make his assessment from there. I don't want to talk too poorly on the program. I do think that he would be a great coach for that program. I think he would turn it around very quickly. I just don't think that that's where he really wants to attach his name. Yeah, I think it would be a home run hire for Colorado and not a home run decision for Deion Sanders. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a major I mean, win for Colorado. I think we can all yeah, agree on that'd be that huge. one. I'd love it for the entertainment factor and to have him in the Pac-12. I think it'd be fun to, you know, watch closely, but I think that he could do better than going to the worst school in one of the lower rung power five conferences. So I don't know. We'll see. I still wanted him at Auburn, but they made a, different choices they made an interesting (laughs) interesting hire down there at auburn all right let's go ahead and jump ahead then talk some transfers Uh, i mentioned it earlier uh dante thornton um is transferring entering the transfer portal uh the worst kept secret in oregon football program right now byron cardwell also in the transfer portal uh both players you know potentially could come back oh is cardwell not officially in the portal yet no, definitely not. Only Thornton, I think, right now. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, only Thornton is so far. It's the it's the worst kept secret that Cardwell will more than likely be entering the portal, but we'll see. We'll see again. I bet players. all my my Will Richardson losings that he's also going <laughs> to. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other players? Uh, any other uh, names you guys can think of as potential players to to leave the program here at the near the end of the season? I have a uh, a spicy one that I, we talked a little bit about before the podcast. It would really hurt to see, but it would not shock me at this point. Justin Flo is just not finding his rhythm in Eugene. Uh, it's been, I believe, four weeks, four games since he saw more than double-digit snaps in a game. Uh, I know we talked on last week's podcast that if there was any game plan that he could thrive in, <clears throat> excuse me, it'd be against Oregon State where you don't really have to worry about the pass and you can just figure out the run and just try and stop the ball. And he saw five total snaps in that game. He had, I think, one tackle. Um, I don't know, man. I just, he he had such a high ceiling coming in and he's not even close to, to reaching that. So um, I'm not saying I've heard anything that he's even considering it. I just know that it would not shock me at this point. No, it's a great case. Um, I would hate to see, you know, a player of my namesake uh, transfer out here, you know, and of course we had, we had really high hopes. We were very, very high on him here at the flock pot in particular. Um, Shane, any other names you can think of uh, as potential transfers out from Oregon? Two names that I think could leave that I would really, really like to see them stay would be Sean Dollars and Jordan James. Um, 
it'd be I just kind of am interested to see how they how they stand with this coaching staff moving forward as we saw their playing time kind of go up and down. Jordan James did get used uh, a little bit more in this game this last week. Sean Dollars <laughs> has been just another player that seems like he's right on the cusp of breaking out, but it hasn't happened. And those are the players that I'm usually the most worried about leaving. I haven't seen anything. I don't know. This is all pure speculation. Uh, the other one would be Jaleel Florence. Um, I know we have seen his name kind of get thrown around in the rumor mill on Twitter, but I do feel like he would be kind of the next up to be playing alongside Triquez Bridges as the, the two starting corners. But I mean, that being said, you know, he didn't get used a ton this year, but it really seemed like, like Zach said about week, what, uh, after the Stanford game, I think that it was pretty much like the, the two corners were solidified. He did get a little bit of PT with, uh, with some targeting suspensions and injuries and late game situations and such. So, I mean, those are three names of players that I just, I really, really like those guys. And I just really, really hope they stay. I don't know if they're leaning one way or the other, but uh, those would just be three that would make me Frank Kepnang sad. Well, and it would make sense. I mean, to take a look at that running back room. I mean, I, I don't know how to Dante Dowdle. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming in, you know, as a big time freshman, and then, you know, Noah Whittington still has two or three years, I think three years of eligibility. Yeah. Um, sure. And I'm trying to find Bucky's eligibility. It looks like he'll have two after He's this. He's got season. at least two. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that running back room is a little full right now. So it's, it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys uh, take a look at greener pastures. So I think, yeah, on the running backs, I think that Sean Dollars definitely probably enters the trans. I don't, I mean, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I could definitely see him going. He's someone who entered the portal last year and was talked back uh, to coming back into Eugene. Uh, Jordan James would actually surprise me. He was a Georgia commit and flipped to Oregon. I know he's got a good relationship with Landon, good relationship with coach uh, Carlos Lachlan. Um, and they used him a decent amount. I know not as much back. as probably he wanted, but he was their goal line back and he had, you know, several touchdowns on the year. And, um, you know, I, I think that he, they can sell him on, Hey, you've got a role in this offense. Um, I, they just had two, you know, three down running backs in in Whittington and Irving where, you know, it was tough to kind of get into that, that, uh, you know, that timeshare back there. But I think they showed that they like him and they like what he brings to the table. So I'd be more surprised if he decided to transfer. Mm. He was this year's Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see Cyrus after the game? Did you see him on Twitter? No. What did he say? Oh, he tweeted out. It's like, it looks like Oregon needs a goal line back. I mean, I've got one more year of eligibility. If you guys want to call, oh, it was like, fuck oh, yeah, gosh. bring him back. Bring yeah. him back. Bring oh, him back. Oh my gosh. We love Cyrus well, didn't he, here. Didn't he enter the draft though? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know. He if was preparing for the draft. Yeah. I don't know if he actually signed with an agent or anything of that nature, but he's a great follow. I'm surprised I missed that. Actually. I love following him on Insta and on Twitter for sure. Um, with that name in mind, are there any players around the rest of the country? Um, I mean, besides the name that Zach kind of brought up earlier or any players here in the Pac-12 that you guys think could be potential targets for this Oregon team to bring in? I have one. Let me find it real quick. I forget it off. I mean, we already I, I burned my DJ Ugalala. Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I burned that take earlier in the season. Um, I do think. I do think if Bo leaves, which I still think is about like a 60 to 70% chance, I think that going and getting a, a buffer quarterback isn't the worst idea. <clears throat> yeah, I'm 
more in the camp of Bo leaves now after Dillingham leaving than mm-hmm. um, than him staying. There's also a uh, an OC candidate, Mike Bobo, as uh, an offensive analyst at Georgia, who was the OC for Bo at Auburn last year. That is a potential candidate. So um, you know that could make things interesting, but you know that seems like a long shot to get him to stay. Bobo uh, coaching Bo. As, oh, give it. I know. Favorite. I was like, I do Just like the, the alliteration. For the duck tent alone. <laughs> Um, as far as transfer portal, there's one name that interests me popped up a couple of days ago, Texas A&M edge rusher, Elijah mm. Judy, redshirt freshman. Um, he had Oregon and Georgia in his top six before committed to A&M. Uh, he said on Instagram live, I believe on Sunday night that he was talking about Oregon as his dream school. Uh, landing was his lead recruiter at Georgia. Um, there's a lot of connections there and Oregon's going to need some help on the defensive line. So that's just a name that I would definitely keep an eye on. He was a former four-star recruit, uh, the number 14 edge rusher in the 2021 class. I also saw a tackle from Alabama entered the portal that Oregon was in his top 12 or 15 or something. Yeah. I I don't remember his name. I saw it this morning. Um, I've got it right here. Uh, Damian George. Um, again, yeah, I don't know any uh, other connections there to Oregon, but another Alabama transfer was actually the player that I had my eye on, uh, cornerback Kyrie Jackson. Um, not sure much about his story, but he'd been mentioned in Oregon talks. Also, he was uh, suspended. I don't know what the suspension was from, but that would be interesting to see. So yeah, a couple of players there to just keep your eyes on. Uh, please tweet at us at the flock pod. If you uh, flockers have any players that you kind of have your eyes on or potential targets for the ducks, we would uh, love to get your input or right, anything else on that you guys, or should we go ahead and move forward? Looks like, the Ducks made the top six for Kyrie Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Um, before he committed at Alabama. All right. So another another possible connection there. Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit already. Uh, it does look like Bo with Dilly leaving uh, makes a lot more sense for him to now explore the draft even um, more aggressively. How are you guys feeling about Noah Sewell? Is he a lock to go to the NFL draft, or is there any potential for him to come back? I think he's I'd gone. be I'd be shocked if he came back. Honestly, I don't know what else sad. he. I don't know what else he really has to prove in college, unless he just loves being in college, which yeah, he, I wouldn't blame him. He hasn't had quite the all-American season that we expected from him under this Dan Lanning-led coaching staff, but I think he's had a good enough year that he's still a late first to early mid second round draft pick if he declares this year. So, uh, yeah, I would be I'd be surprised if he came back. And he also like he made some plays this season that don't show up in the stat sheet mm-hmm. that he can put uh, his reel together. Like he had one play, yeah. he didn't get a sack, but it was a pressure in like the second quarter of this game where he came on a blitz, and one of the guards slid out to block him, and he knocked a guard back like seventy. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And I think things yeah. like that is what those draft scouts are going to really salivate over, rather than like, you know, the numbers he put up his sophomore year were huge, but. I think that he he did enough on this year's team. And now that he was more singled out as well. Well, that will be interesting to track. Uh, we wish you the best, the Wolverine. Uh, again, one of my favorite players uh, quickly rose up the ranks here for the Ducks this season. Really fun to watch him play. All right, where does this Duck team land now? Uh, again, disappointed into the season. Uh, no Pac-12 championship game. Where do they land bowl season wise? I'm seeing a lot of holiday bowl projections. Uh, what are what are you guys? What are you feeling? What's the, what's the vibes here for for the bowl game? 
Yeah, it's probably the Holiday Bowl or the Alamo Bowl again. Probably against like Florida State or Duke, North or Carolina or North Duke Carolina or, like that. or yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't really care. Honestly, yeah, I think I, I think bowls I'm kind are of in the same boat. I hope they go to whatever bowl gets them the coolest free shit. You know what I mean? I hope they get Playstations or something. You yeah, know? or not call. like the not the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl where yeah. you get like I don't know. Holiday Bowl does it right. I went I went to the the Joey Harrington Holiday Bowl when I was a kid. That was a really fun experience. Seemed like the players and it's only gotten better, but it seems like they took good care of the players and the program down there. So, in San Diego, I mean, it's hard to hard to find a better place to spend a week in the continental United States than San Diego, California. So, not a terrible terrible landing spot. All right, let's jump over to this weird round ball coverage. Now get away from the oblong ball. A little PK invitational talk here. Let's go. Let's do the women first, actually. We always seem to talk about the men first. Let's talk about the women here first. Uh, drop a tough one to North Carolina in the opener. Uh, nice bounce back win against Michigan <clears throat> State in the second game. Uh, Shane, let's go to you first here. What are what are some of your big takeaways from these two games over the weekend? Well, the, I would talk about the North Carolina game first. That I think that this Oregon team can, by the end, when when they, once they get into – conference play and they get tested by your UCLA's and your Stanford's I think that they can play with damn near anybody in in the country uh from what I've seen from Iowa from UConn uh the only team that would really scare me uh, is like you know South Carolina is the clear best team in the country uh Aaliyah Boston is the best player by far the best player in the country and Oregon and most teams are going to have a hard time slowing her down but a lot of these other top schools because uh, I think North Carolina is a great program and what they were able to do well and how Oregon was able to counter it with the pace of the game, the athleticism of the game, having a little bit more size where Filipina Shea doesn't look like this tower out there as she had earlier in the season against some of these lower quality opponents. Uh, the, the questions I had about Oregon, whether they were going to be able to keep up the pace, keep up the physicality and stay on the boards. And they were able to do all those things. Uh, they were a few plays away from, from, you know, winning that game against North Carolina, it was tight all the way through. It was just a little bit lack of experience from some of the guards. Tahina Pow Pow does a great job of keeping the team composed, making sure they're getting into their sets right and everything like that. Just a little bit of up and down shooting from Chance Gray and uh, and Hurst and some of these other guards. But those are going to that's going to happen as the season starts to go. And you got these games are also in Portland in a quote unquote, um, whatever they call it, um, uh, uh, not home game, not away neutral. game. Neutral. Neutral site. There we go. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, and kind of like those weird, big, empty gyms. It's always a weird feel. Um, I wish that they could, like, do a better job of filling up the lower bowl at the Moda Center and at the uh, at the Memorial. Cheaper but, tickets, um, man. Those tickets are expensive. It's crazy. Yeah, and it seemed like uh, just start moving people down. If it's halftime, fucking, if there's somebody sitting 10 rows up, be like, hey, you guys want to move down 20 rows? Like, let's fill this bowl up and let's get it, you know, let's get the sound to be a little bit more like a college environment, like near the floor. But all that being said, I I was I was very impressed by the women's team. Um, I, every time I watch Filipina Shea and Van Sluten play, like I'm, I'm more and more impressed with what they're able to do inside. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for them to get a little bit more healthy when they get some size coming back in January. So I think there's there's a ton of optimism around this women's team. 
Well, and it looked like Tahina really kind of found her groove. We've talked a lot this season about how she's really been a distributor, and she just got a little bit more aggressive, I feel like, in both of these games on the offensive side. She's always going to be a stud on-ball defender and just really fun to watch on that side of the ball. But I think uh, your point about Hurst and Gray is really important. You know, they really struggled in that North Carolina game, didn't pitch in very much, I think, six six total points. And then here in the Michigan State game, uh, eight and six, you know, respectively. So just, just a little bit more from them can make the difference between a win and a win or a loss for this team right now. Zach, what are some of your takeaways here from the women for the weekend? Yeah, I don't really have much more to add. I've unfortunately not been able to watch as much of the women's team as I've wanted to between being sick and everything that's going on with football. Um, it's been hectic over in my life right now. So well, and being um, a new dad like might said, have something to do with it too. Yeah, yeah. there's there's that too. <laughs> um, I've been really impressed by what I've seen from Van Sluten. I think she's going to be, you know, an incredible, incredible player at Oregon. Um, I like what I've seen from Tahina so far. She's doing a really good job in that facilitating role and still getting her shot when she wants to. So um, like Shane was saying, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far and really excited for what this team's going to look like in Pac-12 play because I really think they do uh, have a chance to compete uh, in the Pac-12, and they're definitely a tournament team once that comes around. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a top three Pac-12 team is not unreasonable uh, expectation for this squad right now. A little bit of a pillow game uh, on Saturday, hosting the Portland Pilots. So go support that team. Nice 2 p.m. tip. What else are you going to do on a Saturday afternoon? So let's go watch, go watch some women's basketball. All right, the men's side. A little more dire over here on the men's side. Uh, this is just peak Dana being Dana, you know, and just throwing stuff together and just making things work. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a word I try not to use all that often, but I'm gonna use it: an embarrassing loss to UConn. Um, going down 83 to 59. Uh, UConn was just on fire from outside, so definitely some some other factors there. Uh, and then a really impressive battle against a good Michigan State team coming up four points short. And then another good game, another impressive um, just overall effort um, from every single player on that Duck roster to pull out the win against the Villanova Wildcats. So, Zach, let's go to you first here on the men's side. What are some of your main takeaways from those three games? It's a really weird like juxtaposition because, like you said, it's a a dire situation because they have so many injuries. So they're many dealing injuries. With. Yeah. But I've been so impressed by what they've done the past couple of games because Dana is coaching his ass off right now. I mean, he's starting guys like Gabe Reichel and Luke War is getting a ton of minutes and he's playing these non-scholarship guys and they're playing well and oh, they're playing man. cohesive basketball. And I mean, Will Richardson and Quincy Garrier are playing really well. Yeah, uh, Dana Will said, Richardson got was, that haircut. Yes, that was it. That was, yeah. that was what was weighing him down. I apparently, dude, it's so weird how those little changes, man. I think uh, it was after the Villanova game that Dana came out and said, it's like, I've been just absolutely blown away with what I've seen leadership-wise from Richardson and Garrier because they've kept us in it and they've really got this team ready to play. And if they didn't speak up like they they have, then all of these would have looked like the UConn game. Um, but it's been it's been really impressive to watch. I know it, it might not mean much because this is not even close to the team that we'll see, uh, you know, even a month from now, but... Man, it's just, it's been a lot of fun to see Dana do Dana things and really make something out of absolutely nothing with this roster. 
Yeah, I think I tweeted at the end of that Villanova game, you know, Luke War gets key defensive rebound to finish game. Yes, this is a real tweet. This actually happened. So uh, it's I mean, he was a flock pod favorite when he came in. Uh, we've definitely been following him. Love to see him still in the program and just battling and playing hard. Yeah. But, not just uh, getting glared at on the bench by yeah, exactly. like he just like <laughs> mean mugs him and it's like dude he's not even played in a month what does he have to do with this uh, i want to throw it to you shane uh, what were some of your takeaways here from those three games yeah i'm glad that you mentioned the will richardson thing somebody i wanted to give his flowers because i've been very critical of him the last couple of years and what i've been critical of is has been his give a shit level and uh, i've questioned that for about a year now and now i can firmly say that he gives a shit about this team and he really wants to be here. Uh, Gary, another guy, especially who's, who can kind of bring that physicality on the floor. And in those games, when they're, when they're down those guys and he's Gary is boxing out just like a motherfucker down there. It's just, it's so fun to watch. Uh, I think in Volley Dante, you know, he's going to continue to be up there as, you know, potential PAC 12 player of the year. I think that the improvements that he's continuing to make. And, and then the younger guys, the Biddle and Ware are also just making tons of improvements every time they're on the floor. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm hoping that some of these other guys getting run is going to help them in the long term. college basketball season's long and it's a grind and uh, teams are going to hit these stretches where they have a lot of injuries and Oregon's getting it out of the way early. We hope. And if not, it's just, they're, they're building a mentality that I think later getting into the Pac-12 tournament and everything is going to be is going to be huge for them. that if this team identifies themselves as being a scrappy, you know, we'll, we'll beat you in the effort department that they got more than enough skill to make a run deep in tournament play. Um, it's just it's always been a kind of a question of the, the cohesive mentality of this team. So it's it's nice to see. Um, yeah, Will Rich. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I think he sat uh, in those last two games a total of like 30 seconds. Um, yeah. Just an unbelievable effort. But you mentioned it, man. Kalel Ware. Uh, I was really high on this kid coming in, but we we usually see the the Dana freshman treatment, you know, pretty heavily. And guys sometimes have a hard time, you know, playing through it. He, if you've ever talked to Dana, you get you understand real quickly. He's just kind of a dry guy. Oh my God. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's I think players <clears throat> take a little time to kind of adjust to that. You know what I mean? And for him to go out and, I mean, obviously it was out of, uh, um, you know, need, you know what I mean? In this kind of a situation for where to get the kind of minutes he was getting, but he answered the bell and offensively looks good. You know, I like his skill set a lot, but defensively is where he impressed me the most. He was calling out rotations. He was barking at guys. He was keeping his verticality, playing with a wide base, good feet, um, really, really impressive stuff. So yeah, if, if he could continue to, to go on that kind of a trajectory, get a little healthier. Um, Will Rich continues to stay in his bag and stay aggressive. This could be a really fun team. I mean, they might not be very good, but it'll be a really fun team to watch and root for for Duck fans for the rest of this season. Well, it's kind of kind of good timing too because Pac-12 play starts, I think, Thursday. <laughs> Next week. Yeah. yeah. They play yeah. Washington State, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, like this season start, like I know the football season kind of ended how we didn't want it to. But, you know, I think Oregon fans can turn quickly to the basketball team and see that, hey, they're they're expected to get some of these injured guys back in the next week or two. Um, and, you know, some meaningful games are really coming up. So um, if you've not been paying attention to the basketball team yet, I encourage you to do so because, you know, they they haven't looked uh, at their peak yet, obviously, because of injury. But uh, things can turn around pretty quickly, and I think it'll be interesting to watch in the next, you know, three weeks. We're going to learn a lot about this team. 
Yeah, kind of a weird schedule here. Pac-12 fans, you know, we're usually very spoiled in regards to our, you know, home and away and it being very neat night and all that kind of stuff. Um, we've got Washington State coming into Matthew night Thursday, 7.30 tip. Uh, those late night tips are tough, so let's go fill the mat and, and let them know. Uh, UCLA coming in on Sunday, December 4th. We all we know that the mat will be full for that one. And then they play a couple more you know, non-conference games, Nevada, UC Riverside, Portland, um so it's kind of it's kind of a weird schedule kind of a kind of a weird <laughs> schedule here moving forward did i did i get that wrong zach you look like you're you're ucla is away i believe oh it is oh, you're right sorry you're you are correct in la so unless you want to travel to la which you know this time of year it's not not bad to get out of got a eugene for a little bit and uh, go charge up your sun battery a little and Polly is a great place to watch a basketball game so a little weird tangent there but anyway um yeah this team should be really fun to watch and again we don't know how good they're going to be but you can you can get behind this team and believe in this team that they're going to go out and fight um every second they're out there on the court together it's a very classic dana team in that way all right we have dilly dallied long enough we have reached the end of the podcast here where we turn over the reins to shane for duck generic corner my right. favorite parts, Shane scrambling for his notebook. Yeah, I kind of forgot there for a second. I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Um, yeah, we ducked in your corner. It's it's turned into a tight race here at the end of the season where we debated whether or not we were going to go into the uh, conference championship week without Oregon being a, a participant. But it was it was so close, we decided to do one more. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get into bowl season. We might cut it short there. That's where things get a little, a little kooky. A little dumb. Yeah. Um, so last week, uh, I continued my hot streak. I went nine and five. Zach went six and eight. Justin went eight and six, <sighs> bringing me into the slight lead at 83 and 67. Zach is 82 and 68. And Justin is not too far behind there at 80 and 70. I am so impressed with myself. I don't, I'm just I feel gonna, like I'm the so Ducks in... late third quarter. I kind of just sat on that lead and man. Shane just kept running the ball, stormed back. I don't know. I, I know he's not going to throw it. I don't know how to Pile stop it. on the rock. So the first game, I didn't do all the – I just picked the, the – what we got here? One, two, eight most kind of uh, captivating games. First game on the docket is Utah plus three against USC with an under over of 67 points. High number for a Utah team. Again, I don't gamble. Ladies and gentlemen, so take the take this with you know take it for what you will. I would hammer USC in the over in this game. I would absolutely. Caleb Williams is him. He is playing at an unreal level right now. I would hammer that. Yeah, I'm also going USC in the over. I I've, I've been pretty strongly against the Trojans all year, thinking they're not as good as they've shown that they are, and I keep having to eat my words. So uh, I think they're really good. I think Caleb Williams is the Heisman winner. Uh, yeah, I'd go USC in the over. I've been on USC in the over all season, and this is where I stop. <laughs> Just wow. because I think USC is the better team. I think Caleb Williams is should be the Heisman winner for the season. Pac-12 just can't have nice things. And this is where... <laughs> We're not going to get a team into the playoffs because of this the dumb, so much. cannibalistic bullshit that is this league or this conference. And this is going to be uh, what just kills me. So I'm going Utah and the under. They win a dumb, scrappy, just tons of mistakes on both sides game. I, I hope that. that's what happens. I would really love that. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos. Next <clears throat> up, we have Kansas State plus two and a half against TCU with an under over of 62. That's only two and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kansas State's good, man. 
That's a good football so team. So is TCU. Kansas State's got that old Nebraska quarterback. I do like him. That Martinez kid. Yeah, Adrian Martinez. Give me TCU and the over. What was that over under again one more time, Shane? 62. It is the Big 12. Give me, yeah, give me yeah. K-State and the Seems over. Low. I think this is a, like, weird game. I mean, yeah, Big 12, again, weird, weird stuff happens all the time. But uh, let's just root for chaos. Yeah, go Kansas State. Yeah, I'm going Kansas State and the over as well. I'm always going to go the over in a Big 12 matchup. And, uh, yeah, I just I just like that quarterback. These championship games can get murky. And uh, I like I just like his play style. All right. Next up, we're coming back out west. Fresno State getting three and a half against Boise State with an under over of 53 and a half. Is Andy Avalos or. Uh, yeah, was that Andy Avalos. It was Avalos. Yeah. Is he still there? I think so. <laughs> All right. Let me Google. I, just see, I kind of thought that he might have gotten fired, but I don't know if I'd try. I know because they haven't really won that many games. Oh, <laughs> no. uh, what? Yeah. Still the head coach up there. Yeah, he's still there. All right. I don't I'm know if he's longer, but yeah, give me uh give me the Bulldogs. Give me Fresno State. And give me I haven't watched any. Let's go the under. Just vibes. Just all feel. Give me Boise State in the under. I'm gonna go Boise State in the over. Um I had the under, but I'm just gonna contradict Zach here to make things interesting here. Especially because <laughs> I mean, how many Fresno State Boise State games have you guys watched this year? None. Cool. None. We're on the same page. Yeah. Zero. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got the SEC championship game here. Uh LSU is getting 17 and a half against Georgia oh with an under gosh. over of 51. Wow. 17 and a half. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they did LSU lose to the carcass that is yeah. Texas AM. <laughs> LSU lost to uh Texas AM, I believe. God, that's awful. What's the over under? 52. 51. Mm. Wow, that's so low. Yeah. <laughs> I know both numbers are surprising. Yeah. Give, me, give me Georgia in the over. Give me Georgia in the under. All right. This time I'm going to agree with Zach. Um, I think Georgia's the best team in the country, and I like their defense. Yeah. Uh, next up, we're going to go with the SWAC. Southern is getting 17 and a half against four mentioned Deion Sanders and Jackson state with an under over of 50 and a half. We're all picking Jackson state, right? Yeah. Give me Jackson state. <laughs> yeah. Give me Jackson state. And uh, why not? Let's take the over. Let's just root for nice things for everybody. Shane, you go first. Oh, uh, Jackson state in the over. Give me Southern in the under. All right. <laughs> I gotta try and make up ground. I love it. I love it's 17 and a half points, man. You never know. All right. Next up, we got the ACC championship. Clemson is minus seven and a half against the University of North Carolina, under over 63 and a half. Tar Heels in the over. Fuck you, Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, I was gonna say Tar Heels and the under. Damn it. Yes. I got, yeah, I got, I had North Carolina in the under. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. Sorry, Zach. I just, <laughs> I fucking don't want to pick Dabble. I just don't want to root for Clemson. I hate him so much. Um, and then the last game on the docket here, the Big Ten Championship. Purdue is getting 16 against Michigan 
with an under over of 51 and a half because the Big Ten sucks. Yeah, it's I'm not sure you Ohio State game, though. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I just think I just think that conference as a whole kind of blows. So bad. It's, it's so like bad. Too... Well, the fact that they're still doing divisions too really sucks. Yeah, so it'd be a lot of fun to watch a rematch between Ohio Wasn't State it... and Michigan. Yeah, the fact that Purdue legends or something like that, or yeah. with their division, <laughs> yeah. like that. The fact that Purdue's in this championship game with a sixteen-point spread, yeah. and you have these two fucking juggernauts, is like one of yeah. the dumbest things they could possibly do. But yeah. that's a yeah. dumb conference for you. All right, yeah, Michigan in the over, slam it, bam. Michigan in the under, respect it. I am going Purdue wow. in the under. Wow! Not only do I think Purdue covers oh do it i think oh they win God. this game Dang. what i think i think michigan is gonna ride oh man we fucking we beat ohio state blah 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 blah. harbaugh gets to keep his job for the next 10 years no matter what because he beats ohio state and knocks him out of the well didn't he really knock him out of the playoff um but yeah i just oh, think a, that this is the dumb throw from shane i love this it is yes. this is that weird <laughs> this is gonna be that weird funky thing that happens during championship week uh, there might be some weird weather there. Who knows? I don't even know where the game's being played. And uh, but it's the Big Ten, so it's probably snowing somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think Purdue wins in a stupid game. Those are my, it's my big upset of the week. All right, I love it. Absolutely love it. Fun Duck Jenner corner to wrap up this season. We will see where the standings fall. Um, hottest take here, gentlemen. We've we reached the end of the podcast. Uh, you guys got anything uh, you got to get off your chest here? Anything? Should we uh... rename the segment Spicy Takes? Um, oh, man. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah. Could, yeah. If, could. if you if you took a shot every time Rod Gilmore said spicy, you'd be dead. You wouldn't be listening to his podcast. I'll do, um, I should try to cut up a thing of him saying it like every single time <laughs> he said it. That'd be hilarious. Oh, right, yeah. Spicy Takes here at the end, gentlemen. What do we got? Something we didn't really touch on that is a, a dark moment in this game and something oh. that just needs to be addressed in college football in general. DJ Johnson just hauling off and punching yeah. somebody at the end of the game, right? His sucker punch right in the back of the head. Whether or not that guy deserved to get punched, whether or not he said something, spit or whatever, there's been several stories going on there. Uh, there's just there's a million better ways to handle that. Um, even if you do decide to fight the guy, I think there's a better way to handle it than the way that DJ Johnson handled that situation. I understand it's in, it's incredibly frustrating and it was a very emotional game, very chippy on the field. You know, there was a lot of shit talking going on, especially in these rivalry games. But after what we saw with Michigan, Michigan State and, you know, like a, a disgusting act of somebody being jumped in the tunnel, I think that. I mean, and I heard somebody say like, oh, this is why we can't have, you know, fans running out on the field after the game. No shit. We know that they're not supposed to storm the field. It's against the rules. Everybody's getting penalized. Like, but something, you know, culturally, whether or not, I don't know, something needs to be done with college football. Uh, DJ is a guy that we've been super, super high on this podcast was on the cusp of making the <clears throat> Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, I think you've just been disqualified from yeah. attention. I and uh, I, you know, I, I don't want something like that to follow him around for the rest of his life. Everybody makes mistakes. God knows I've made mistakes too, but man, you just, you can't handle yourself that way. It was just yeah. a really hard thing to see at the end of the game. Well, it was really interesting because we, when we were walking after the game, walking to the, the post game meeting, we were basically walking off the field with the players while fans stormed the field. And so I was walking out, you know, alongside a lot of the players <clears throat> and through like the tunnel and, that's a tough scene. I mean, 
it felt like I was getting showered with hate and all of these, you know, cuss words from Oregon State fans, you know, just yelling terrible things at you around you. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm not saying anything that DJ did was okay, but it's like, I understand, you know, the, mm-hmm. the aggression and the anger and the vitriol and everything. And I understand that sometimes I can boil over after a tough loss. So um, it was a very interesting perspective after that to be kind of in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was very tough. Yeah. I mean, football is a, <clears throat> like the way that the fans handle themselves in these games, especially in Corvallis. Uh, I mean, huge win for them. It's that's why, you know, I don't really it's it's hard to blame him individually. I like I mean, I will, because like I said, punching somebody in the back of the head is so dangerous for so many reasons. I mean, if that punch connected a little bit more and he did knock that guy out, he could have fallen, hit his head on people's knees. All sorts of bad things could have happened. Uh, But yeah, I mean, culturally, it's it's football's in a tough place, man, like. The things that people say to these players uh, online, in person, in the stadiums, it's it's brutal. I, I understand why he felt that way, but I don't <clears throat> condone his behavior. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback. I mean, I say this all the time. It's understandable, but it's not acceptable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like there was maybe a magic word there said and. Um, you know, that's tough. You know, fans got to be better. You know, we've talked about that at length. You know, Oregon fans, you've got to be better. There's a there's a lot of a lot of. Um, really unfortunate things that happen here from this Oregon fan base also. So we can't yeah. kind of blind eye to that for sure. We are not like saying that Oregon fans are better than, than Beaver fans. I no. want to make that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that, it's that controlled aggression, you know, and it's that, it's that emotional intelligence and in moments like that, where you just, you've got to know the, the best thing that you can do for yourself is just to walk away in those moments. But it's so tough. I mean, 21 mm-hmm. year old, you know, Justin, you couldn't tell nothing. So just, yeah, <laughs> we, oh, we've, all, we've all like made I said, mistakes. I, I'm not saying I'm above what he Again, did. You know, I've you know, done it. One, I of have my, done uh, it. one of my, my, my friends describe me as, you know, have mouth will run it. You know, it does happen. So, <laughs> uh, things, things like that will happen, but I, I don't think that we need to say anything else. I don't have another take to go with that. I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Oh, Zach, what do you got? Uh, I mean, my, I couldn't say this is like a hot or spicy take. It's just something that I've kind of said, all season and i'll just reiterate it now because it needs to be but you know patience is going to be key with this team and this coaching staff and dan lanning in particular and i've seen a lot i know shane has too on twitter a lot of you know hate and disgust for how the season ended and especially with the coaching decisions and all of that um i still wholeheartedly believe that dan lanning is the right man for this job i think that he's going to have this program in the right direction the next couple of years uh nine and three yeah it ended a tough way but that's a really good first season in oregon could have it's a few plays away from being 11 and one and potentially in the playoff yeah um i know it, it could have also been worse than nine and three too i mean you look at that washington state game earlier in the year that could have easily been a loss so mm-hmm. um there were some growing pains in this year for sure but i think that's a good thing uh in general because he learned a lot uh you know 36 year old head coach you're you're not going to know everything your first time around so um, I was still very encouraged by what we saw and we've seen Lanning get better as the season went on and start to learn from his mistakes. And I think we will um, this offseason as, as well. Uh, and I hope that they bring a more veteran presence in with the coaching staff too, that can really help with that whole, uh, that whole aspect of things too. So um, just, just preaching a little bit of patience as I have done for most of the season, because uh, Oregon's still headed in the right direction for sure. Yeah, you look at just the top half of the Pac-12, man. Like, what a good conference. 
Yeah. And the fact that they were, you know, Oregon, Washington, Utah, all two <clears throat> conference losses speaks volumes to how good this conference is with USC absolutely. being on the doorstep of going to the playoff. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, go watch Andor. If you haven't watched Andor yet, Jesus. go watch Andor. It's the best, best television show of the season. No, absolute. It's... Yes, it is. Yes, it is. No, it's, it's the best TV show. It was, yeah. It's I've amazing. Heard that from multiple, multiple people. No, it's not. It's incredible. No lightsabers, no force, nothing like that. Maybe a couple okay. aliens, but that's about it. You know. All right. It, well, fuck. All right. Maybe I'm a little more sold then. Okay. Bro, go. It's just give it a two episode. Anyway, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. Go USA. USA. Oh, yeah. USA. 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 <laughs> I Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. Shout. 